Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I am in here with my co-host, Adam Hawkins. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm tired. It's the end of a long day. Uh, I know you just said you jumped straight out of meeting into this. I did the same. And uh, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling tired, but I'm hey, ready to go. That's good, because I'm excited about today's conversation, um, because today we Me are too. talking with Justin Gibney, um, author, attorney, political strategist, and co-founder and president of the AND campaign. Justin, we are excited to have you here today. I follow you, have just finished your book. So I'm excited to ask you a bunch of questions. We'll let Adam talk a little bit too. Um, but thank you for being here with us today. Glad to be here. I appreciate y'all having me. Um, so Justin, I told people just a little bit about you. Um, I could read your full bio, but I think it'd be a little bit more fun for you to tell the people about yourself, kind of what you do, how you got into the work with the AND campaign, and kind of what the AND campaign is. Sure. Uh, so I am an attorney and a political strategist. Uh, as you said, I'm the president of the AND campaign. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I have uh, three young sons, a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-year-old. I've been married for, for quite a while. And um, the AND campaign, you know, is, is really just a Christian civic organization. Uh, it's a Christian civic organization that's trying to raise civic literacy among Christians. So we want, we want Christians to go out into the public square informed. Uh, we want them to know how the, the process, the political process works and to be able to engage effectively. But we also want Christians to understand that in a- able to be faithful, we have to frame some of the issues for ourselves. I think too often Christians take the framing of issues from either conservatives or progressives. And sometimes those frames are just not biblical. And so we end up making taking bad stances or just taking the wrong positions because we haven't taken the time to run some of these issues through biblical scrutiny. And so that's what we're trying to do. The way that I got into this was just, you know, in running campaigns here in Atlanta, um, just seeing that, you know, the church needed a little bit of organization when it came to, to political issues, that we needed some unity. And, um, you know, I think, it, it, you know, it feels to me like every moment of my life kind of God was setting me up for where I am right now for this call to, to kind of focus on the intersection between faith and politics. And so that's where I'm at. Uh, did you always have in mind to write a book? I mean, was that always going to be part of the aim? And then, and then just maybe, maybe take a minute to speak about the book. You, you guys recently released Compassion and Conviction, the Anne Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. Um, maybe is this connected somehow to the work of Anne Campaign? Is it sort of a manifesto for you guys? Uh, or, or was this something that you had thought about before you'd started? I feel like I, I always wanted to write a book, this specific book. I don't, I don't know about that. This book came about really as we were traveling through the country, going to different churches, speaking with pastors, speaking with faith leaders. They were like, Do you, is there a resource you could give to us so we can, you know, give this to our churches so we can have Bible studies and all that. And so initially we were going to do a curriculum based on those requests. And um, Ivy Press was like, no, just, you know, do a book. It'll, you know, it'll go over well and make sure there's questions and acti- you know activities in the back. And so that's what we did. But it was really based on the request of a lot of pastors and faith leaders, uh, even, you know, college professors who were saying that uh, they needed 
something to help equip their people because we really don't have you know we don't take the time to really have a political theology we talk about theology work we talk about all these other things but not a political theology so once we step out of the uh the church we're just kind of up for grabs and whatever you know uh, ideology we lean towards they kind of set up our our Listen, uh, Kyle, why do you think that is? You know, because I think we've reached this moment mm. where it is painfully obvious that Christians have this dearth of knowledge when it comes to politics, um, don't know how to engage well. And sometimes when we do, it's just really volatile um, and contradicts with what we say we believe. And so why do you think historically um, Christians struggle with political engagement? Yeah, I mean, well, it, it, I think it goes both ways historically. I mean, you could say the civil rights movement, which was a Christian movement, actually did it very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you could point to the moral majority and said they they did it very poorly. So I think it, it, it depends, you know, on the context. It depends what group you're talking about. If we talk about right now, I think one of the bigger problems is we allowed our political affiliation to become religious in nature. We allowed our political party to be part of our identity. And that's why when you talk about somebody, you know, when somebody talks about somebody else's political party or their ideological tribe, they get madder than when you talk about the church. Right. Mm. To talk about somebody's party or a candidate they like is like talking about their mama. All right. And that's that's, that just shows you that their identity is so tied up into it. And so what we're trying to tell people is, look, you can be in a party all you want. That's cool. You got to be a Christian first and have enough space between you and the party that you can see the difference and that if if somebody critiques your party, you can say, well, OK, maybe that is a fair critique or if it's not a fair critique. But you shouldn't feel like they're attacking you because they make a critique or even an insult of your party. Uh, that should be something that's a little, you know, a little more distance between you and that. Yeah, You mm. know, when I think about um, kind of our ability to engage with the healthy critique. Um, I think sometimes and you talked about this in your book, um, just the idea of the complexity of certain political kind of ideas and how we might simplify them. Um, And so where do you think that um, kind of how Christians educate themselves about politics and kind of some of the problems in that space? where we're getting our information from, how we're learning about what's going out here, going on in our world, and why the information we're not getting might not be good for us. Yeah, one of the issues that we have is we're getting narratives and propaganda and not necessarily the facts, honest Mm -hmm. facts. And so, you know, we're, you know, we go to a lot of different places. I'm sure you can guess (laughs) where some of those places are to get information that's really just confirmation bias, really just what we want to hear. And that's one of the biggest problems I see. We want to hear a storyline. And so we go to places that give us Mm -hmm. that storyline. Look, I'm all about justice. I'm all about um, uh, racial justice, criminal justice. But I can't act like there's a perfect, you know, that I have to have the perfect narrative to be able to defend that. But today we feel like if we admit anything, if we admit we did anything wrong, our community is not perfect, then our narrative is not perfect. And therefore we're, we're losing something. When the truth of the matter is, if you if you are honest about how you go about things, you have credibility. Right. You have the credibility to address people. And so I think the biggest thing is when we look for news, when we look for commentary, don't just look for news and commentary that is furthering your narrative. Look for the real story. Be deliberate about going to different sources and trying to find out who's intellectually honest. And that's hard to do as individuals, but it's much easier to do as a community. And if we do it through our institutions. So we just have to demand honesty and we have to seek it out and we have to be willing. And I I wrote this in The Hill, I guess, a month ago now. 
we have to be willing to make arguments that are against our immediate self-interest to make sure that we're healing the, the, the discourse. And if we're not willing to do that, then we're just not willing to be honest. How has that been accepted? You know, you talked about um, working for campaigns in Atlanta, sort of being in, in – you've seen it from the inside, I guess is what I'm trying to say. How has – how have your – I've been really curious of how have your arguments been accepted, well, both in the church but actually on the inside of politics. Like are, do you feel like as you're speaking to politicians themselves, are they receptive to that idea that, hey, like it's okay for me to understand I have an identity apart from – politics, or it's okay for me to disagree with party platform, because it seems to me as I look at the landscape, and again, I'm not I'm not trying to argue that I'm the most informed person in the world, but I'm just saying it seems that actually we're becoming more entrenched, and that's not being differentiated by the politicians themselves. That's actually being reinforced by the politicians and the rhetoric we see on, on in the media today. So I guess the question is, again, do you see politicians be comfortable with the idea of trying to fight this entrenchment or are they like, hey, man, that's a great idea, but I can't really I can't really be a part of that. Yeah, so I know I know a, a few just great politicians that that have accepted it and are trying to live it out. Right. And, yeah. and they're every day. Uh, and then I know probably more of them that uh, behind the scenes, they'll say, man, I agree with that. I, I, man, I wish that, that was that's how it was, but it's not that way. Uh, so, so I think it's one of those things, the people, it's not, l- let me say this, this is one thing I say all the time. The change is not going to come from the politicians. If, if you're going to sit there and wait for them to change that, they're going to do what they have to do to stay in office. And that's not to kind of come at their all of their integrity, but that's just not the way that works. The change is going to start when the people start demanding something different. When we stop mm. retweeting just whatever somebody throws out there, what are we rewarding? What type of incentive structure are we creating? The change is going to start with us, which is why I, I start with the church. I start with the people um, and the politicians follow the people. Um, mm. And so we'll, we'll get to them later. But the people need to change what we're incentivizing. That's really That's good. good. That's really um, good. You know, I think when it comes to kind of change within the people, you mentioned this earlier, is this idea of identity politics and how we fall prey to that so many times. Can you, for our listeners who might have any idea what that means, can you uh, um, kind of describe or define identity politics and why we as Christians fall victim to that? Yeah, so identity politics is basically voting for someone or supporting something because of the identity of the person. So, you know, if a white evangelical says, I support all white evangelicals, then you vote for that person mostly because of that purpose. Or even in African-American spaces, you vote for someone merely, not merely, but primarily because of their um, of their identity. Um, Now, part of that is understandable. I mean, if you you know, you have to recognize we're in a country that race has always identity has been used against people. Identity has been used to uh, discriminate against people. And so when you're talking about minority groups who have not had a lot of representation, to see somebody who looks like you in a in a in a position of power means a lot, um, and so I don't take anything away from the fact that representation matters, uh, and that part of identity politics to me is understandable. Uh, I think we still have to recognize that what somebody looks like only tells you so much, though. It doesn't tell you if they have character. There's white people who don't have character. There's black people who don't have character. There's black people who do have character. There's, you know, there's white people who do have character. It just doesn't tell you enough about a person. So while that's reasonable, historically speaking, 
it can really get us into trouble because at the end of the day, we don't know enough about somebody. And if I got money and I got to say, oh, all I got to do is get somebody who looks like you to represent my interests and you just go along with it, then you get yourself into trouble. So mm. part of it, uh, representation matters. We got to keep that in mind. And it's something that even I keep, I, I, I take consideration of. Like, that's not something I just throw out, but there has to be a deeper analysis, right? It can't be just your identity. It has to be something past that. Because I want to see, I want my sons to see people that look like them too, but I don't want somebody in there that looks like them and is not doing the best for the people. So I think it has to be a deeper analysis. And that's kind of where, you know, that's kind of what something America has to deal with. But character always matters. The substance of what somebody's talking about always has to be more important than, than what they look like because it's just too easily manipulated. That's such an important message. Um, that that idea that character matters. You could look at the past. Uh, well, you could you could look in history and find examples where we've sort of shunned that. But I really think it's a moment of of sort of reckoning for maybe the evangel white evangelical church because um, we've sort of forgotten that principle that character matters. And I don't know that it's – I feel like in some ways um, that many Christians have been caught up in the politics of us versus them. Do you know what I mean? And so there's like a – I think there's this – okay, it's us versus them. There is this other side. They're out to – to hurt me or harm me like that, that sort of rhetoric is, is it's not just, I disagree with them. It's that, you know, they want to end my way of life or something, you know, the stakes have been, have been, uh, the narrative sold to us have been the stakes are so high. And I'm not saying they're not high, but the, the, the stakes are so high that it does character doesn't matter. We just got to get somebody in there who will do what we need them to do. And I think part of that's the result of the us versus them sort of categories that Christians have bought into. On the other side, I think you have Christians who feel so orphaned by both parties or maybe politically homeless is a, is a thing we talk about a lot on this show that so many Christians just feel like, man, I... I don't know how to engage at all. Could you maybe speak to both? Do we get involved in the us versus them? Do we give up or do as we're polit as we are politically homeless, how do we engage? Could you speak to maybe both camps there? Sure. So the, the camp that says this is so, you know, this is such a tense moment. The stakes are so high that, you know, the stuff that we talked about back then doesn't matter anymore. It's just hypocrisy. Yep. Um, a principle is a principle. Yep. Of course, a principle is easy to keep when when, when there's no tension there. Uh, then, But if you throw it out when the tension comes, then it just wasn't a principle. So if character matters is a principle, if it's something, if it's a Christian, if it's part of the Christian ethic, it, you know, it doesn't expire just because, you know, it doesn't just fade away just because times got hard. That's the moment where it, when it's most important, because that's the moment to show whether it was really a principle or you whether or not you don't have any credibility. Uh, and I think many mm. people who are taking that stance simply don't have credibility as a Christian. We know that you can't make an argument on the, based on the Bible that character doesn't matter. Um, mm. And it's I think it's a lack of faith, right, to say we have to do it any means necessary just to get it done. Is that really what we're about? I mean, the end campaign talks a lot about putting the witness over the win. Our winning mm. in the public square is more important than winning a political battle, even though we know political battles have their consequences. That's not to say they don't matter, but our principles are more important. What message are we sending to people? Because when our witness is bad, I think it hurts our evangelism. It hurts our ability to uh, to tell others that we really do know 
uh, the way and we can show that, you know, bring them to Jesus for that. Uh, as far as the folks who are feeling homeless, um, I think that's a good feeling to have. I think hold on to that a little bit. You're not really supposed mm. to feel at home in a political party. That's not your home. That's not your good. tribe, right? Uh, you can, mm. you should still be able to engage, though. That shouldn't stop you from engaging. I think you just have to lower your expectations of what you're going to get from, from a party. If you're going in understanding that a political party is a tool and not something that you're supposed to identify with, then you don't feel so bad about being homeless because it's like, I'm not looking for so much out of this space anyway. Um, this is a tool. I'm in it because I'm trying to do God's bidding in the public square. And this is the best tool to use to get that done. That's that's how we have to think about those issues rather than, well, if I don't fit in with this perfectly, then I don't feel like, you know, I don't feel like I can engage. I think that's wrong, the wrong way to go about it, because you're never you should never feel like you fit in perfectly. And just make sure that you're holding people accountable and speaking up, because every decision that a party makes, even if you voted for that party or you're registered with that party is not on you, especially if you're speaking out against it and trying to do your best to to promote human dignity and um and to pr defend human dignity and to promote human flourishing. So you talk about this um, idea of Christians having political engagement, knowing that we're politically homeless because our allegiance is ultimately to the Lord and the kingdom of God. And so how do we do that? Um, early voting in Texas starts next week. Like, is it just voting? Is there a more holistic approach for us to have political engagement? Should our focus just be on the November election or... Kind of how do we have how do we get in the game yeah vote in november take that election seriously that november vote is not the whole of your public witness mm -hmm. it's not that you know it's not everything and too many people you you feel so frustrated because you're putting everything into one vote you have to remember that that vote is the end of one process, the process of selecting candidates and going through policy and creating an agenda. And it's the beginning of another uh, of another process, the process of holding people accountable, making sure that they're doing what they said they were doing. Whether your candidate wins or loses, you should be holding whoever is representing you accountable. And especially if you voted for them, you should feel even more of an obligation to hold them accountable. Too often we do the opposite. We just defend the person that we voted for if they win because we're defending ourselves. We're, we're justifying our vote. And so we don't want to admit they did anything wrong. We don't we want to act like everything was perfect and that Christians can't act like that. If you vote us my end, you should be even more serious about holding them accountable. Um, the other thing is not only is this the beginning, it, not only is this only part of the process on a national level, there's a local level. There's so much that you can do on a state and local level that probably has more of a direct impact on you. You probably won't feel as frustrated because you'll see some of the changes that are going on in your community or in your state. And so people cannot make national politics everything. Please get involved on your local level. The other thing about a local level is it's nonpartisan usually. So it's not really about the party and you can get together with other Christians who you may agree with on disagree with on national politics and really focus in on stuff that you guys can do together on a, on a level. That is like just such a good um, man. That's just such a good reminder, because I think what we tend to get be we tend to be uh, just, 
inundated with the idea that the national national is where it's at, right? And I'm not again, you know, to your point, it's not that it's unimportant, but just that the level of involvement in actually seeing the fruits of your labor and and what you're involved in is so much more accessible at the local level. You know what I mean? And so just just such a good reminder. But maybe to go against that a little bit and talk a little bit more about national, you know, the the vote on the national level. What are the not that we're called to be I guess we're not called to be single issue voters necessarily. Uh, And to your point earlier, I think character is an issue we have to pay attention to. And that's one you've already pointed out. What are some other issues you're paying attention to in this election cycle? And what would you tell Christians to pay attention to specifically uh, as it as it relates to voting in November? What issue would I be paying attention to? Yeah, Um, definitely. uh, Racial justice is a big one. We've seen since you know the COVID crisis has uh, started, we were forced to to focus in on some of the racialized violence that was going on in America, uh, and how uh, that you know, people weren't being treated uh, in an impartial manner. Uh, we were forced to see that, and I think as Christians, we can't run away from that because part of what we're seeing is on the on the right people who don't want to really address it, right, who want to act like it didn't happen or find every reason that they can find to not care about somebody dying over, you know, uh, buying a pack of cigarettes with supposedly with a fake dollar bill, $20 bill, right? Dying, you know, what, what do you have? Five kids, five image bearers losing a father when that should never have happened. Talking about George Floyd. So that's one thing we, we, we definitely have to focus in on one side. Doesn't want to talk about it. The other side thinks destroying the communities that are actually the one dealing with police brutality, destroying those communities is the way to deal with it. It's not the way to deal with it. Um, and in many cases, the folks who actually have to live in those communities, when you tear them up, you t- tear the grocery store up and those folks don't come back, you put them in a worse situation. Mm-hmm. So this is a perfect opportunity, unfortunate, unfortunate, but perfect opportunity for the church to step up and give a real answer and stop running away from everything that's justice and saying it's Marxism and showing people are the right way to do justice instead of running away from it. So certainly criminal justice, racial justice, big deal, police reform. But also we, I mean, there's a lot of other issues, voter rights. How are, how are the, you know, how are these uh, states and other folks taking care of people and making sure that they can vote Uh, a big one, but then I'll go to the other side too. I mean, you got to listen to what people are saying about the sanctity of life. That's a big issue. Uh, It's something that we should not run away from. It's something that I think we should reframe. It's one of those issues that I think people say, "Okay, do you care about the woman or do you care about the unborn? And we usually make that. That's a false dilemma. But we choose one of those. And what the end campaign says is, no, we care about both. Mm. We care about women who are in crisis pregnancies. And we need to make sure that, you know, we put them in a situation where they don't think that's their best option. But we can at the same time, we cannot act like the unborn don't exist. We can't just, you know, because it serves our narrative, act like they're not there at all, that that heart is not beating. Um, and so that, that's another issue that we, we can focus in on, along with religious liberty. So I'll give you two on each side. That's an issue that matters uh, to the church. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of Christians, I think some of the Christians who have focused on that issue the most don't have a lot of credibility. And so even some Christians don't even focus on it. But it's something that we should all care about and not just for Christians. Right. That's something that is for everybody. And we should support, support and have conversations with people about kind of how they're voting, how they're thinking about voting um, for November, something that that really trips people up is how do I vote for someone when they stand for something I don't agree with? 
Um, you know, so you think about um, the left and abortion, or you think about the the religious liberty, the the issues that you just mentioned. And so, um, something else I appreciated about your book is how you talked about um, what it means for us as Christians to engage with people and partner with people that we might not fully agree with, um, and how we do not isolate ourselves from the public sphere, but we enter in having a strength of understanding of our biblical worldview being able to stand on the truth that we know about, um, but also being able to partner with people. And so how do you, how do we do that? Because I think that trips a lot of Christians up is, how do I vote for this person when they believe in something that I don't believe in? And does me voting for them mean that I then justify everything they do after that? Like, how do we engage our voting habits and then who we partner with in the organizations we work with to advocate, to do some of that work after the election is over? Yeah, that's good. So the first thing I would say, again, that one vote is not the whole of your public witness. So don't put everything on that one vote. Do your best to prioritize your issues and look at which one fits your issues the best and the issues in your community and your neighbor. Right. Just do your do your best. You may not get it perfectly. You may even regret it sometime. But if you if you're diligent and you you know, you look at the issues, you just you know, you got to make a vote. Uh, You need to be participating. So, so that's the, that's the other thing that I would say. And um, once you know, once that vote is over, once that election is over, advocate, speak up. Mm-hmm. If the person you got, like we said earlier, if the person you voted for is in, you have more responsibility to do that. But we also have to understand that politics isn't really an individual endeavor. Um, and my my, my teammate uh, Michael Ware talks about this a lot. Um, yes, everybody goes into that voting booth by themselves. But outside of that, we should be doing this in community. We should be doing this through institutions because people just don't have. I mean, y'all have jobs. Everybody, you don't have time to be like me and be looking up policy. The, the way, reason I can do it is because I have time to do it. That's my job. But that's how institutions work. Right. We support each other and let people use their expertise to help the community as a whole. We've taken this. We've taken politics and made it a completely individual endeavor, endeavor which makes us less effective and less informed you can't you just can't do it by yourself and when you do something when you have a critical mass of people that you can come together with and do things together then you can really make some changes very hard to do by do by yourself so you've said a couple things that i just think um are so important even looking beyond the election so you've talked about holding those you elect accountable and even if it's the one you voted for right um then you even have more responsibility to hold them accountable. You just talked about now that it's uh, thinking about partnerships and who you're going to partner with and how you're going to be involved even beyond a vote. What what wisdom, you know, thinking those two things, maybe maybe bringing it, uh, crystallizing a little bit more, what wisdom would you get to Chris, give to Christians for after the election, whether it's Trump who wins, whether it's Biden who wins? So regardless of who wins, what wisdom would you give to Christians uh, post, you know, November? Yeah, post-November, I would say um, post-November is going to show who you really are, mm-hmm. where your faith is, whether you win or lose, right? Um, it's going to show who we really are and how much faith that we have. You know, if you lose, take the time to, I mean, and, and it hurts. I mean, elections are big. I mean, people put a lot of emotions into this. So I'm not going to act like somebody just has to act like it doesn't matter. But find a neighbor, right? Find somebody, have some conversations, find somebody to help. 
there are plenty of people right down the street from you or across the tracks that need your help. If you have to take a moment out of from away from talking about politics or talking about partisanship for a minute, do that and go help somebody. Go volunteer, right? That's probably if you go volunteer, you may be more of it may count even more than your vote did at that time, right? Because you've helped somebody directly um, in in a way that you know you might not do if you're only going to be focused on politics and the and the outcome of this election. Don't let this election control you. Don't allow this election to make you even more opposition centered, which is another huge part of the problem that we have anyway. Right. We focus on our opposition and everything. You know, people get mad at the end campaign because we refuse to have everything we say be about Trump or hurting Trump or helping Trump. Right. If you're focused on your opposition, sometimes you're not even focused on what's right and wrong. You're just mm. focused on winning or you're just focused on making sure that they don't win. So don't be opposition centered. Find some joy. Find your, you know, find your church family. Find something to be ha- happy about, and find someone to help, regardless of if you win or lose. Find somebody to help. If you need to stay away from partisan politics for a couple months or whatever, just not talk about it, then don't talk about it a whole lot, and just find somebody to help to bring to bring some perspective to it, because it's not everything. It is not an ultimate thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's a great, I think a great idea for us to end our time on is just the idea that. However we operate in this space, the goal is to really help people um, and that we engage in politics as the way in which we love our neighbor um, and we create an uh, environment or society um, that exists. I mean, we're living out that cultural mandate. Um, we're living out the Amaho Day that we see in Genesis, that we're responsible for the people that live around us and that in the way in which we desire to be treated, we treat others. And so as we step into places of justice, because we would want someone to step into places of justice on our behalf and so on and so on and so on, um, that there's work to be done. Um, so for those of us who aren't educated about the issues, um, who maybe are getting one source of information for the things that we're learning, that we're engaging with good sources of information, information that maybe not are necessarily in a feed, um, but are opportunities for us to hear voices that are going to give us good truth. At the end of the day, our home is with the Lord, Um, that we don't have a home on the left or the right, um, that our hope is in Jesus. Politicians are not the answer. Jesus is. And we're here to push forward the things that he's given to us to steward this world for his glory. And the political sphere is one way in which we do that. And I think we have a really great opportunity this November, but moving forward past that to really be a light in the way that the Lord has called us to be and the world needs us to be. Um, and so I'm excited for the potential mm-hmm. for the church um, in the weeks and the months to come. Man, thanks, Justin. Um, I really appreciate you giving your time and giving your wisdom. You guys are doing some really great work. Again, I followed you. I've been blessed by what you guys are doing and really encourage and just even getting wisdom on some hard issues and how to talk through that. Your book is great. So listeners out there, I need y'all to buy this um, so we can be able to jump in and you can have some questions answered that maybe that you've had. Again, it's Compassion and Conviction, the and Campaign's Guide to Faithful and Civic Engagement. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Stared and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review where you listen to the podcast and also follow us on Instagram and support our Patreon page at patreon.podbean.com backslash culture matters. Thanks, y'all, and God bless.